So going back to Matthew chapter 27, you see, these are some of the things that the Bible says, this is what's going to happen to him. So he makes a statement here in verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, shaking their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save thyself. In other words, they're mocking him because of what he said. Because Jesus had told them in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Well, they thought he was talking about the temple that took 46 years to build. You know, when they came back from the Babylonian captivity. But what temple do you think he was talking about? He's talking about his body. You destroy this body, my temple, and in three days I'll raise it back from the dead. So he makes a statement in verse 40. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. That's what they said to him. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, that was just the problem. Because he was the Son of God, that's why he came, was to die, to pay for the sins of the world. He couldn't come down from the cross. If he came down from the cross, nobody would have been saved. So in order to save the world, he could not save himself. But you see the wisdom of man, if you're who you claim to be, save yourself. Don't die. Well, he has to die. And so they nailed him to a cross. Look at verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. You think so? They wouldn't have believed it if he came back. And if he came back from the dead, they wouldn't have believed it. Now, there were some people that did believe. Nicodemus is one of those Pharisees that believed on the Lord. And so he says there in verse 44, The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Both of them said the same thing. Save yourself and save us. Now, somewhere in this little episode, one of those thieves changed his mind. Somewhere, because of something, something changed his mind. Take your Bible and look at this over there in the book of Luke. Hold your place right there. But look in Luke, chapter 23. In the book of Luke, it says here, in Luke chapter 23, and look in verse 39. Verse 39. Because now the question was, if you're who you claim to be, well, save yourself and save us. And uh, just to look at this, look up in verse 35. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Save thyself. Then look in verse 39. And one of the malefactors, or the criminals, the thieves, 
which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. See that and us now is added in there. But the other answering rebuked him. I wonder why one changed their mind. Something must have been said by the Lord that caused him to understand something. So the only thing I can find is up here in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. There has to be something that he said that caused this guy that was on the cross to change his mind. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So the thief said, we know what we've done. We know we deserve to die. See down there in verse 40. So the other answering rebuked the other one. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? In other words, don't you fear God at all? Hey, we're going to die. We're going to die. And so in verse 41, and we indeed justly. In other words, we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve to die. We're thieves. This is what we've done. But this man, he's talking to the other thief, hath done nothing amiss. He hasn't done anything wrong. Nobody had proven that Jesus had done anything wrong, said anything wrong. He hadn't lied. He hadn't blasphemed. He was really who he claimed to be. One of them asked him, Pilate, it says, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. He is truth. And so the debate was on. They held mockery of a kangaroo court. And then you have all these things happening while he was up on the cross. Now notice what he says in verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So here's Jesus dying on the cross. And he's, as this thief on the cross, say something to him. So you have here a very interesting thing. You had one that was dying in sin. One was dying to sin. And one was dying for sin. All three of them. So Jesus Christ was dying for our sins. The one thief who didn't believe, he was dying in his sins. And Christ says, if you die in your sins, you shall perish. So he did. And one was dying to sin. That means that he believed that Jesus was dying to pay for his sins. So that he could have as a free gift to go to heaven. You remember what he said? Remember me, Lord. So he knew he was Lord. Remember me when thou cometh into thy kingdom. He believed that he had a kingdom. So he believed that he must be a king. And he also had to believe in the resurrection because he says, when thou comest into thy kingdom, means we know you're not getting off the cross. You're going to die. But he believed that he would live again. And he says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And if you want to hear a, a deathbed prayer, you know, this is it. And what did Jesus say to him? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus went to paradise that very day. See, paradise at that time was in the heart of the earth. Jesus didn't go 
down to hell and suffer and pay for our sins. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And he went to the place of paradise. And he led captivity captive. So when he came back from the dead after his resurrection, many people came back from the dead. So Jesus Christ was in paradise that very day. Now think about this thief on the cross. Did he have to promise God that he would go to church from now on? No? I mean, he's, he's nailed to a cross. Did the thief on the cross have to promise to give money? He made no promises. Did he have to say, I promise that I'm going to turn from my sins and not be bad anymore? He didn't have to do that. Did he have to promise how he was going to live? He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to promise God to be the Lord and the master of his life. He didn't have to promise anything. He couldn't promise to do anything, stop anything, join anything. He's nailed to a cross. Did you know that every person in the world that's ever saved are all saved the same way? By putting your faith in Christ. That's all he did. He believed Jesus was who he claimed to be and would do what he promised to do. Did Jesus promise that that man would be with him in paradise? And yet he did not do anything. One man goes to heaven, one man goes to hell. And what did the one thief do that gets to go to paradise? He believed. He believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be and that he would do what he promised he would do. That's the same thing we teach today. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross, paid for your sins, and will give you as a free gift everlasting life? And if you'll believe that, God said he would save you and you get to go to heaven when you die. It's no different from that man on the cross. That's why I do not and nobody should try to get people to promise I'm not going to be bad anymore. I turn from all of my sins. You don't have to do that. Why? You're a hypocrite. You'll do it anyway. You don't have to promise how you're going to live because that means that God can't save you unless you live right. So who's Savior? You or God? You can't even help save yourself. God doesn't want your help. God cannot save anybody who's trying to save themselves. He can only save those who stop trying to work their way to heaven and trust him as their savior. That is so simple and so easy to understand. So anyway, go back there to Matthew. Back to Matthew. And you'll notice in Matthew, and it says this in verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. See, they knew what he claimed to be. They just didn't believe he was really who he claimed to be. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. See, their day started, say, at six o'clock in the morning. So from six o'clock in the morning, six hours would have put it at noon. And so from noon, sixth hour, until nine would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So from 12 to 3 o'clock, it was dark upon the earth. Remember, Jesus told him, says, Now when you put me on the cross, my Father will tell you who I am. He says, I am the light of the world. They said, You're not the light of the world. He says, When you put me on the cross, my Father will tell you who I am. So while he was on that cross, those three hours, the earth went dark. God says, 
that's my son. That's my son. But it was dark for those three hours. And they said Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So when all the sins of all the world were placed upon Christ, God smit his own son. Now, hold your place right here and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, and chapter 53. When you go back to the Old Testament and you see something that was written so many years in advance, it amazes you how accurate it is. Man could not have wrote this. So you have here in Isaiah 53, in verse 1, it's like reading the newspaper before the events take place. You see, when we get the newspaper, it's always about what has already happened, right? Well, the Bible tells you what's going to take place and writes it in advance. So he starts off in verse 1. He said, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is Christ. See, in the previous chapter... You'll see there in verse 10 of chapter 52, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The arm of the Lord, see it says it in such a way, the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. Well, the arm of the Lord is Christ. He's come into the world. And Lord, who shall believe this report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then look what he, else he says. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. This one that God's going to send into the world. Not coming like an oak tree. He's coming like an acorn. He's coming as a tender plant. And he's going to be born into this world. And he's going to grow up. And he's going to be the man. That's why the Bible refers to him over and over again as the branch of the Lord. He's the branch of the Lord. So he says in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now look at the description. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Here was a perfect individual, wrong nobody, comes, and comes into the world and he just happened to be somebody that could walk on water and forgive sins and heal the deaf, the blind, and the dumb, and raise people even from the dead and make the lame to walk. Provide fish sandwiches for everybody. He could do all of those things. And it says, and we hid as it were our faces from like, we don't want nothing to do with this man. We don't want nothing to do with him. How would you like, you ever have the feeling of rejection? Have you ever had people reject you? And you didn't want it to happen. You, you love them, but they, they reject you. I remember whenever I was a little kid, I, I had a girlfriend. I liked her, but she didn't know I was alive. I just thought, you know, if I liked her, she'd supposed to like me back, you know. It didn't work that way. Years later, years later, my wife and I, we moved to Georgia, and I said, honey, I want to go by and see this girlfriend that I used to have when I was in the second grade. Still remembered her name. So Betty went with me. And we went to this house, and somebody told me this is where she lived. Back in those days, she was a little rich kid. I was a little poor kid. 
So I, I just wanted to see her. So we walked up to the door and knocked the door, and this lady come to the door, and she still looked a little bit like she did when she was a little kid. But now she's married and got kids and so forth, and I introduced her to my wife, and I said, do you remember I was in your second grade with you? She says, no, I don't remember you. I said, no, Yankee, Yankee? No. I said, we were king and queen in the classroom, and we went to the, the thing. Uh, okay. I wanted to slap her jaws. I mean, probably for 10 years, I carried a torch for the girl and haven't seen her in all those years. And, uh, but, you know, time goes on, and, yeah, she didn't know who I was. She said, do you know who I am? <laughs> she gave me an impression. She don't really care who I am. So anyway, we enjoyed talking to each other, and we left. And so I guess you could say the flame had gone out, or the flame that never was. <laughs> I think some things are funny. But he says that uh, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Look what he says there in that verse 3. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. We thought he deserves to die when he came. You deserve to die. And yet he hadn't done anything. We did not esteem him as, look, do you know who he is? This is the Lord. This is the Lord. Go back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 47, when they heard him say, Eli, Eli, they thought, well, hey, he's calling Elijah. Let's see, let's see if Elijah shows up. And so, verse 48, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah is going to come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and Jesus died. Jesus died and paid for the sins of the whole world. And many people don't really understand what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And yet we get to celebrate it every week because we know he came back from the dead on the first day of the week and we celebrate that. And that's why we come together on the first day of the week. And the Bible says in Corinthians in chapter 16, let every man lay by him in store as God has prospered him on the first day of the week. And the disciples, after the resurrection, they had the Lord meet with them on the first day of the week. And then a week later, he met with them again on the first day of the week. So the first day of the week, we believe, is the Lord's day. And so we're thankful for that. Now, in verse 51, I want to show you this. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Now get this. They say that this veil was about this thick made out of kind of a camel's hair and so forth like that. It was really tough and strong. They said they could put, you know, horses in there. They could, you could not tear this thing apart. And the Bible says that here's this veil that separates from the holy place and the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where you had the, the Ark of the Covenant. And then you had in the holy place, you had the table of showbread and the candlestick and so on. And so there's this veil that the high priest would go in once a year and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But you couldn't go into the presence of God. 
They said that they would tie a rope around the, the high priest when he goes in. In case God didn't accept it, you may have to drag him out because he didn't want to go in there. And you couldn't touch that Ark of the Covenant because it would shoot you through. In other words, it's like radioactive. It would, you'd die. And so at times in the Bible, it talks about people who touched it, they died automatically. So it was a, a closed thing. And, but that's where the Shekinah glory would come and rest over the mercy seat. And it would be, this is the presence of God. This is where God would meet with his people. But not everybody had access to God. So when Christ died on the cross, it was like he took the sins of the world upon himself and his body was torn for us. In other words, his body was like the veil in the temple. And that veil was rent from top to the bottom. In other words, the way into the presence of God is not been made open. And you read that in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, how that this wall of separation has been opened up. So he makes a statement here in verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, knowing that man didn't do it. The earth did quake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened. And this is a part of Scripture that most people never see. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, wouldn't that knock your socks off? Here's people that have been dead, and there's an earthquake. Graves are open, and people coming up out of the graves and walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Mom, you died 30 years ago. I would love to have recorded some of those. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been there and saw something like that? But very seldom do you hear somebody talk about these two verses. But this is, is, is that in your Bible? Or did I make that up? That people came out of the graves after Jesus' resurrection and walked and appeared unto many went into the holy city. You know, I would think, you know, maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. And verse 54, now when the centurion, the Roman, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. I remember years ago they had this one movie made and I remember at the end of it, there's John Wayne standing there, and it says, truly, this was the Son of God. Anybody remember seeing that? John Wayne. So you know it had to be true. He's the all-American man. And I saw it. It was in a movie. John Wayne was standing there. He was a Roman soldier, and, and he looks up, and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. I think it was the highlight of the whole movie. I forgot the name of the movie. I don't remember that. Anybody remember? Yeah, I think it was the greatest, story ever told. greatest story ever told? All right, it was, um, that was a long time ago. But anyway, it says here, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off. There's a song that my son sings sometimes called, Behold the Lamb. So these people that are standing around beholding the Lamb. 
This is the Lamb that came into the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This was the Lamb that John the Baptist was talking about, and the Lamb was crucified. And so, there you have it. We'll talk more next Sunday morning. All right? I want you to look up here. This hand represents you and me, and this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, He hates our sin, but He loves us. But for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. Because of sin, see, we can't get in. And God says, you cannot save yourself. You're already condemned. There's nothing you can do to remove yourself from the condemnation. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into this world. Why? Because he loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. So what did he do to prove that he loved us? What if he said, well, I love you, but he didn't do anything about it. Love made him do something. So he took all of our sins and paid for it. This showed us how much he loved us. We didn't have to pay him back. He paid for our sins, and we didn't even ask him to. There's no guarantee that we wouldn't even believe it. But it made it possible for everybody to have eternal life. And so God says, he paid for our sins and came back from the dead. And if we would believe he did it for us, he would put that payment to our account and we go to heaven on what Christ did for us. If you've never trusted Christ, I urge you to trust him. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Right now in the quietness of this moment, would you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I believe Christ died. I believe he paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him and him alone as my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, if you'll trust him, God said he would save you, give you eternal life. Would you trust him? If you will, I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? I'm not going to have you forward, but right where you're sitting. See, that made sense to me. With your head still bowed and eyes closed, in view of what I spoke on this morning, you that already know the Lord, some of you have already made up your decision, but you that haven't, and you're not sure about what God wants you to do, would you pray about it? Would you do what somebody asked me to do? Yankee, would you just pray about it? Would you pray to the Lord, Lord, do you want me to come to Bible college? Do you want me to take a night class? What do you want me to do? What does God want you to do concerning your finances? Are you really supporting the Lord's work the way you should? That you have no guilt that you're failing the Lord? I don't know. I never look at the books. I don't care who gives what. But I'm talking about one day we'll have to give an account to the Lord. But this morning you say, yes, I want God's will for my life. And I will pray about it. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you've already made up your decision, I pray this in the Lord's favor. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Bless each one here, and we pray, Lord, that those that are watching by internet would also see and hear and understand, trust your Savior, and let us know by just clicking on the computer. We commit this day to you. Thank you for all you've done. Bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.